If you've ever had the experience where somebody starts telling you something and you may not really know the people involved or the context or the technical specifications or really anything, but nonetheless, after five to 10 seconds, your, your brain is going, oh, I've got something to tell them. <laughs> I've got an idea. I'm going to, That's your advice monster. So you start telling them something and they, they start giving you advice and you're like, what the... <laughs> <laughs> on what basis are you giving me this advice? You know nothing about what's really going on. Well, you know, it flows both ways. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin, I have something for you. Have you not read Only Tens 2.0 yet? If you've been listening to the show, my guess is you have read it. Would you like to give away a copy to someone you care about, someone who's struggling with time and energy management, someone who needs to focus on the important things? Well, if you go to markjsilverman.com, click on the red resource buttons, we have put a free copy of Only Tens 2.0 for you to download, and you can upload it onto your electronic device of choice. I hope you enjoy. So for today's show, I'm kind of like a golden retriever chasing about 10 tennis balls. I have one of my heroes on the show, Michael Bungay Stanier, who is the founder of A Box of Crayons, which is a learning and development company focused on teaching people to build a curiosity-based culture. He's a brilliant keynote speaker, a Rhodes Scholar. All these things are really cool. He's the Canadian Coach of the Year. But what's really cool about him is that he's able to have conversations with real people about real things. There's too many people in the coaching industry who the, have these elaborate things that they build, and it's just so cumbersome. It's almost impossible to figure out. You have to get a degree in order to be able to coach <laughs> someone who works for you. He wrote a book right. called Do, great, Do More Great Work, which is a great book. But the book that I give away by the case is The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. He wrote another book just recently called The advice trap, guess what? Be humble, stay curious, and change the way you lead forever. And every new leader I coach, including the leaders who are seasoned and think they need, don't need to learn, <laughs> I give this book. They generally don't read it, so I have to teach them everything yeah. anyway. So I get to talk to Michael today because we're in the middle of the coronavirus. We're about week seven or week eight. My, Michael's in Canada, so they're dealing exactly with us. And we're going to talk about being curious leading and helping our people along during this time. Michael, thank you for being on the show. Look, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for the work you do. Thanks for promoting my book out. That's super kind of you. So thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, not only am I promoting it, I just keep buying it. So yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, so, you know, I just got off a conversation with one of my clients and they're having an all hands meeting. Yeah. Right. And, and they got feedback from their organization and the feedback ran, you know, ran the gamut. But in the middle of this, it's, you know, they're, the, the people, their people are nervous. Their people are trying to, you know, they do have jobs, but they don't know what it's going to look like. Right. Their task from, from the CEO to now go and have conversations with each one of the people that are working for them. 
And the, you know, the, the question is, how do you think that they should go about that? Given that curiosity is the way you teach people yeah. to lead, help us, help us be more in relationship with the people that, we're, that are working for us. So I think in relationship is the key phrase because curiosity is a means to an end and a means to an end of building relationship. And that works for everybody involved, right? (laughs) We prefer to be in relationship with people. They prefer to be in relationship with us that, you know, I come back to Martin Buber's very simple, but very powerful understanding. He says, look, there are two types of relationships in the world. I, it relationships and I, thou relationships. I, it, where you're kind of like, they're a little bit objectified. They've become a role or they become less than the kind of the messy, complex, brilliant human being they are. I, thou, when you can be present with them, see them for all of that and, and just kind of connect to them on a really human level. And I'm like, it'd be great to have organizations that, as a friend of mine says, people positive, uh, uh, people positive, and he also goes, and, and complexity conscious. But that's, a, that's another question. So you've been tasked by the CEO to go back, to have conversations with your people, and they're all freaking out right now. I start off by thinking to myself, what's the big picture here? (laughs) Rather than get caught up in the minutiae, what's the big picture here? And the thing that I always remember as a, you know, as a facilitator and a speaker and the like is people respond to the strongest signal in the room. So when I'm, when I'm in front of a room of tens or hundreds or thousands of people, I'm like, I need you to see what I'm signaling in terms of how I'm showing up, the energy that I'm putting out. So when I'm speaking, I'm like, look, I'm funny, I'm relaxed, I'm confident, and I'm competent. That's my, that's how I show up. And I'm like, because if I show up like that, you go, oh, I'm feeling funny and relaxed and confident and competent myself. So I think there's something about when you're showing up, you know, in this time of crisis, but just in general. And I start off by going, how do I be a beacon for something that's good? <laughs> rather than not. I mean, it's a really simple black and white thing. Am I showing up in the best way I can? And then the second step for me, and again, this is a principle rather than the specifics, I go, how do I walk the line between the dark and the light? Because they are both present right now. But to go too far one way or the other does nobody a good service. Like if you go too far into the darkness, you're like, oh my God, we're all freaking out. Nobody knows what's happening. It's a chaos. The world is burning. It's a zombie apocalypse. And it just makes you anxious and makes them anxious. And you get into that kind of that spiral piece. But nor do you want to come back going, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to be fine. We've got, you know, nobody's going to lose their job. It's going to be all over by June or whenever. You don't want to be that naive person because, you know, some people will, who are listening in will have heard of the Stockdale paradox and Stockdale, a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Essentially, he goes, look, in the prisoner of war camp, the optimists died first because the optimists are like, it's going to be over. It's going to be over. It's going to be over. It's, going, it's never going to be over. I'm, what's the point? You're trying to take a place of grounded realism you know, positive realism. Like, it's like, this is true what's happening now and this too will pass. Like, there will be days where we'll get, we'll come, we'll come out of this individually, collectively, as a team, as an organization. So, Mark, those are my two, that's where I start, which is I'm like, principled, how do I want to show up? So, so what I heard from what you just said, yeah. first is intention. First yeah. is like, how do I want to be? Who do I need to be for my people? What do I want to create in the relationship and in my leadership? So that's first. So intention really makes a big difference. And then Perfect. the second is, exactly. if I'm Pollyanna, 
and I'm, you know, nobody's going to believe me anyway, because they can see for their own exactly. eyes what's really going on. And if I'm really negative and down, I'm really not going to do any good for my organization. So what you're saying is basically we need to get right with ourselves before yeah. we go talk to someone. So exactly. So you set yourself and then the rest is tactics and it depends on context. It depends on everything. You know, I go back as a foundation to Daniel Goldman's article from the Harvard Business Review back in the year 2000. He is called Leadership That Gets Results. And he says that there are actually six styles of leadership and each one has its moment. Each one has the, the best moment to deploy it. Each one has disadvantages and advantages, a cost and a benefit to it. And great leaders know how to use the right balance between those six different leadership styles. What Goldman, who, you know, he's the guy who popularized this whole idea of emotional intelligence. What Goldman found was that typically, typical leaders have two, maybe three of those leadership styles that they use regularly. The hunger that people have in a time like this is for certainty. Because, you know, we've got this little amygdala at the back of our brain, the lizard brain, as somebody calls it, once they're kind of the oldest, one of the oldest parts of our brain. And it's, it's, got, it's got a singular job that happens at an unconscious level, which is keep you alive. <laughs> That's it. They're like, do I survive or do I not survive? That's the singular thing the amygdala is asking. And it freaks out at uncertainty. And this means that it is freaking out even as we speak because you don't know about your economy, you don't know about your job, you don't know about the next one month, three months, six months, you don't know how long you're going to be kept indoors, you don't know what your leaders are doing, you don't know what your political leaders are doing. There's so much uncertainty at the moment that, I mean, quite frankly, everybody is basically suboptimal right now because everybody's brain is a little bit going, is it going to panics. So it's useful to know that you and they, whoever they are, crave certainty. It's also useful to know that certainty isn't always the one and only answer at a time like this. So I'd be thinking to myself, what do I choose to be certain about? And what will I choose to try and be curious about? And Honestly, I think one of the one of the things, Mark, is you just might be going, "Hey, how you doing? <laughs> hey, how are you doing?" It's like curiosity. It's human focused, and it's less about the let me reassure you with answers. It's about just be present to who they are. And I know this all sounds kind of touchy feely, coachy stuff, but it's a it's a form of human connection. You know, I was talking to one of my team members this week and she just it was she just had a bad a bad weekend and when i'm like hey how you doing she's like blah and and it was melting down a little bit and honestly there's one part of me going look i just want to jump in and save you here i want to rescue you i want you to make you feel better i want you to i want to tell you stuff that you might want to hear but my approach, and this might land for others as well, is just to kind of witness it. <laughs> just go, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it is difficult. Yeah, it's that's hard. The whole holding space thing is way more effective and useful than anybody would ever think. You know, honestly, when I when I think about the power of curiosity, which is kind of the thing that I I end up being a champion for, uh, so much of it is in the end going. What I'm doing is I'm just creating the space. <laughs> a space to think, a space to realize, a space to be with each other. 
And it sounds trivial and it sounds, you know, for, I know part of your audience is kind of business driven. It sounds like, how's that going to help the business? I'm like, it just helps because you get to be smarter and more compassionate and more present and more engaged and, and all of that through the power of curiosity. So can we, can we, can we break that down? Because sure. first of all, what, what keeps us from being in relationship? What keeps us with a, with a me and it relationship versus yeah. a me and you relationship? Why, why would we have that as a default? Because I see that in a lot of places. You know, I've, I've got an answer for you, but I'm curious to know what, what, I mean, you've seen it in various places. What do you see that gets in the way of that relationship that moves things to an I-it relationship? I think for, for me, it's, 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 first of all, it's lack of self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Often it's, you know, even, even, if, even if you're the CEO, even if you're in the leadership position, no matter how much money you have, there's a lack of confidence in, to be able to let other people yeah. lead, to be, let other, you know, to not be the smartest person in the room, yeah. to not be the one who has it all together, to not be seen as the leader. So that whole having to keep that front is a, is a real tough totally. one. And yeah. then the second one is just, they don't have the skills. What mm-hmm. got them to be successful in the first place is that drive, is that motivation, is that can-do attitude, yeah. it's all of that. And then when they get to a certain place where that is not all <laughs> that's needed to run an organization, now it's like, wait a second, I've, done, I've climbed the mountain. Now I got to look around and be something else. So it's like expanding that range is, is what I spend most of my time doing. Yeah. You know, I think, I do think that what stops us connecting with the other person is when we're overly connected to ourselves. And, you know, in, in the new book, The Advice Trap, I talk about the advice monster, you know, and pretty much everybody who's listening to this knows the advice monster. If you've ever had the experience where somebody starts telling you something and you may not really know the people involved or the context or the technical specifications or really anything, but nonetheless, after five to 10 seconds, your, your brain is going, oh, I've got something to tell them. <laughs> I've got an idea. I've got That's your advice monster. So there's lots of people who know their own advice monster. We've all definitely experienced other people's advice monsters. You know, you, you start telling them something and they, they start giving you advice and you're like, what the, <laughs> on what basis are you giving me this advice? You know nothing about what's really going on. Well, you know, it flows both ways. And I say in the new book, look, there are three different personas to your advice monsters. There's tell it, save it, and control it. And those are shorthand for drivers of the ego that I think get in the way of you being present with the other person. Because the advice monster, there's nothing wrong with advice. What we're trying to calm down is the habit, the immediate reaction, the response people have to like, oh, I'm jumping in with advice. That's my default response to what's going on. So tell it, save it, and control it. So tell it is the, I like to be right. (laughs) I like to have the answer. I like to believe that that's the way that I add value is to know stuff. And so let me just prove my superiority by telling you stuff. So let's tell it. Save it is, oh, my job is to rescue everybody. My job is to make sure that nobody stumbles or struggles or fails or finds it difficult. Oh, and I get to prove my superiority because I'm the one who can save you. You can't save yourself. I have to save you. I'm better than you. Like, number one, tell it. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. Number two, save it. I'm better than you. I can save you when you can't even save yourself. 
And the third one is controller, which is like, you know what? The way you win is you never give up control. You keep your hands on the steering wheel. You're the only one who can see the arc from here to the middle to the end. If you invite others in and give them control and give them, you empower them. If you invite them in to step in or step up, then then chaos will come. You'll fail. You'll definitely lose. You're better than them because you're the one that's in control. Mm. And when we're in advice giving mode, particularly in this kind of default response, you've got those three drivers, those three kind of egotistical drivers, like basically going, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. And when you're in a place of I'm better than you, you're in an I-it relationship, not in an I-thou relationship. I find as a coach that that rears its head because, you know, you and I have a mutual friend named Rich Litvin, who was my mentor, and he taught me the value of silence, of holding space, of being quiet, right, and waiting, and then asking a question. And, but for me, being a New York Jew, you know, I want to I <laughs> tell people what to do. I know what to do. And now I'm a coach, so I'm so insightful. And I can see three steps ahead of where you need to be. And yeah. I really need to actually consciously... So, so for me, who's trained, I have to consciously shut my mouth and allow people to work things out. So someone who's a senior leader in an organization, you know, they're just used to solving problems, walking down the hall yeah. instead of taking the time to ask a question. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, to take up those two roles, senior leader and also coach, you know, as a coach, you've been trained to, to curiosity is your superpower. But there's those other things pulling at you, which is like, I want to make sure that I am seen to be adding value. <laughs> I want them to know what a smart person I am. You know, all of that, it's not just being a New York Jew that might con- contribute a little bit, but it's all of that anxiety. It contributes way like, more, you're Canadian. It contributes way more than you think. <laughs> there we go. And if you're a senior leader, you're like, first of all, partly the, you became a senior leader because of the quality of your expertise and the quality of your advice. So, you know, you've had a lifetime of being rewarded and promoted from being three years old up to being the 43-year-old or 53-year-old you are now, being rewarded for that. It just doesn't scale. It just stops working. And it stops working far sooner than people realize. Now, again, there is a place and a time for advice. It's just, and this is the way we talk about coaching, particularly within organizations. I'm like, I don't want anybody to be a coach. I want everybody to be more coach-like, which means can you stay curious a little bit longer? I love can you that. rush to action? So I want to slow down on that one because okay. it, you know, I, was, I was just talking to someone about your book and I said, you know, it's really not a hard concept. It's like nutrition. You can do keto, you can do all these things, or you can say, you know, green leafy vegetables, good, sugar, bad. Right. So, if you, so what you said is if you can just stay curious a little longer and yeah. you give tools to make that last a little bit longer. I know. And by, and by a little bit longer, I'm not talking. I mean, you know, I, honestly, I aspire to be Michael Pollan because, you know, the way he talks about healthy eating is like eat food. What is it? Not too much, mostly vegetables. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? That's all you need to know about nutrition in the end. It's just like eat food, eat real food, mostly vegetables, not too much. And I love the idea of being able to get to simplicity on the other side of complexity, which is, it turns out one of the great powers of leadership, and this is whether you're an individual contributor, a brand new manager, a senior manager, is curiosity just helps empower your team, helps make your organization more agile, more ability to deal with change, more innovative, and actually gives you a better life as well. 
So tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I have to have a conversation with one of the people who work for me, right? And I just heard this podcast. Give me something to ask them so that I'm not the advice monster. Sure. So I, part of this, so part of what this gets into is like, okay, how do you change your behavior? And let's just acknowledge that it's hard. <laughs> let's just acknowledge that the way you change your behavior is honestly by stumbling around and not changing your behavior for a bit. So it's simple and it's difficult. When I say, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Simple but difficult, you know, acclimation. What doesn't work is you listening to Mark and me chatting away here and you're like, they're so good. They're so persuasive. I love this. I will be more coach-like and kind of making a general kind of enthusiastic. Mm. It's like you, it's, it's like it's 11.45 p.m. on December 31st. Let me make a random New Year's resolution. That's just not going to work. I want you to get specific. So I want you to think of this upcoming meeting tomorrow, the next day, whenever it is. I want you to think of the specific person. I want you to go, right, how's this person going to trigger your advice monster? I mean, what's that thing that they always do? Because you know they always do it. It's like there's something that the way they show up or the thing that they say that just says your advice monster, it might be tell it, it might be save it, it might be control it, pop out and go, okay, let me just give you the answer here. And you're like, okay, so I want you to see that moment. And, you know, at the start of the book, of the Coaching Habit book, there's a chapter on building habits. And, you know, I stand on the shoulders of people like, you know, BJ Fogg and Charles Duhigg and others. And I go, when this happens, instead of, I will. That's the new habit formula. When this happens, instead of, I will. So when this happens, so that's when you identify that context, that, that moment, that trigger point that actually can set you off. And so it's like, when they say this, when they do that, Instead of, that's when you own up to your old way of behaving. I, I tell them stuff is the, the generic answer to that. And then the third step is when you define the coach-like action you want to take, which is to ask a question. So it could be anyone, it could be any question. There's lots of good questions out there in the world. But in the coaching habit book, I'm particularly keen on seven of them. So it could be when they do this, instead of giving them the advice, I will say, yeah, but what's the real challenge here for you? Or I will say, if you're going to say yes to this, what will you say no to? Or I'll say, so what is it that you really want here? Or I will say, how can I help? And all of those are potentially useful questions for you where you may go, right, that could move the conversation along. Rather than me thinking I know where we're at, let me just stay curious a little bit longer and see what starts unfolding from there. That's a piece that actually you, you talked with the Marshall Goldsmith about that I found fascinating is that when we, go, when we jump in with advice, when we jump in to try and help someone, we're usually solving the wrong problem. The people who came to you brought the wrong problem in the first place. Totally. It's not what they, so, so you're jumping at it, right? And then you're jumping at whatever your bias has been that you decided right. the problem was. So you guys are both working on something that's not even <laughs> exactly. what's really there. So that question of what's really the situation here and really digging deep and taking a little bit of time, now you can get to some sort of root cause exactly. or root problem or something completely different that you didn't even know was so important. You know, I, I would say there are actually three ways that advice goes wrong. The first is the one you've already pointed to, which is you know, honestly, most of the time you're, you're both busy solving the wrong problem. You show up and you both think you know what the challenge is. You don't yet. Not yet. It's, it's worth just focusing on that a little bit more to get clear on the real challenge. 
And honestly, as a leader or as a contributor in any organization, if you shift your role from being the person who comes up with answers to the person who really helps people figure out what the real challenge is, you move from being the tactical person to being the strategic person. And that makes all the difference. Because if you're somebody, I mean, the people who get promoted are the people who are strategic. The ones that are like, you know what, I help us figure the, the hard stuff out, not I help us get stuff done. There's a place for both. But that the ability to figure the stuff out is the rarer skill. But even if, Mark, you, you know, let's say that somebody's got the real challenge and it's perfectly defined. And you're like, amazing. We know exactly what nut we have to crack here. The second problem with advice is people's advice is just not nearly as good as they think it is. And <laughs> for everybody who's listening and going, Michael, <laughs> you've, you've never met me and you don't realize that I am a font of wisdom. I am basically a genius and all of my advice is amazing. Well, my encouragement would be to go read up on cognitive biases and you'll discover just how bad most of our advice is most of the time. It's outdated. It's slightly off. There's the Dunning-Kruger effect, which basically says the more confident you are about your advice, the less likely it is to be good advice because, I mean, to put it really bluntly, stupid people don't realize, aren't, are too stupid to realize that they're stupid. <laughs> so they're more confident about their answers. So, but it, you know, even if, Mark, you've got this moment where you're like, we know the problem. And you know what? I have an amazing answer to that problem. It's really good. You've got the third crossroads. And this is the important one where you think to yourself, what's the right leadership act here? Because you, one act is to give them the answer and that will solve a short-term problem. The other act is to say, let me ask the better question to help them come up with their own answer. And it might be that that answer isn't as good as your answer. And it might still be that their answer is good enough. And in one, you perpetuate a dynamic, which is you're not good enough. The way we get things done around here is you come to me for the answer. And the other is you start growing people who are more competent and more confident and more self-sufficient and more autonomous and effectively building a group of people who are smarter and more able to act and more willing to take responsibility and move accountability to the appropriate level and free you up so that you can do the work that matters most to you and is your genius work, your great work. And I don't know about you. I mean, I may be, you may, you may guess my bias already. I'm just saying, I think that second option where you're like, let me grow smarter people who are more willing to do the harder work so that you can spend time doing the stuff that only you can do. That's, that serves you. That serves your team. That serves your organization. You know, I'll go even, I'll go even more base with that is I tell people all the time, it's not your job anymore to do those things. You've been promoted exactly. to a leadership position. Your job is to go to Starbucks and think strategically for an hour. That's yeah. actually your job, I not know. to go solve a problem. So, so getting your hands off the wheel of fixing those things, besides getting the dependency off of you, is you don't have time to do your job if you're doing people, other people's jobs. And, you know, it's interesting how, <laughs> like, we get that in theory. But, you know, if we hearken back to those good old days where we, some of us used to go into offices to work, <laughs> what, it, what does it look like when you see somebody thinking? You know, they're kind of staring at the ceiling. They're staring out the window. And as you walk by that person, don't you just think, 
what the hell are they doing? Right. <laughs> Why aren't they working? And there's this weirdness to say, look, we're so much comfortable when we all look busy, comfortable in ourselves looking busy. It's like, oh, look, they're in a meeting. No, that's good. There's stuff happening there. Oh, look, they're typing like madmen. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. There's stuff happening there. Oh, they're staring out the window and kind of doodling on a pad. Come on, man. We're all carrying our load. What are you doing? And they're like, they're thinking. That is actually, you know, that's the powerful. Especially, especially for when you, when you get promoted to some strategic, some leadership level, you really got to learn that that is absolutely part of your job and your mission. I, th- I, I do think that as you become more senior, you should realize that you know less and less. <laughs> you should understand the world to be more and more complex. You should understand that you have less control but more influence than you realized. And it's a very different way of showing up and, and influencing the world. But it's hard because we're very attached to the track record of success that's brought us here, which is often a simpler world where action is rewarded over thinking. That's the whole premise of this podcast. The way, the way this started for me is coming up with what, I, what I've learned is that the drives and the motivations and the things that got us through our 20s and 30s start to crack in our 40s and 50s. And that's where yeah. a midlife crisis comes because we're not going to change voluntarily. Usually it's something tells us that right. we've got to change that habit or we've got to find something new. Yeah. I mean, I think Robert Bly said, when a man turns 35, he realizes his life isn't working. And, you know, man, woman, person, let's make it non-gendered. But there is something about all that stuff that, that got you to where, you're at, where you are at 35. You know, that's when you suddenly go, huh, <laughs> is this the right mountain for me to be climbing? Is this the right journey for me to be walking? If, now that I've won this trophy, is that enough? And, you know, I know that I started Box of Crayons, my company, when I was 30, well, 32 or 33. So, you know, I was slightly early, but I got to that point where I'm like, huh, here I am then. I actually thought you peaked when you brought stuffed crust pizza to the world. I know. That was my deep fear. It was like, maybe this is it. Maybe I don't. Maybe the, my, the highlight of my whole working career is I helped invent a minor spinoff for a minor pizza joint. And that would, have been, <laughs> that would have been a low point of my life. True. So let's, I want to kind of wrap this up in, in, yeah. in what, these business books, you know, the, co- the coaching habit, the advice trap, and yep. the things that you're bringing. There's another book called A Beautiful Constraint that I, that I give away quite a bit. Uh, they're, they're specifically for business. They're for business people, leaders, and all that. And then I, and then I see how they work in marriages and in relationships. I see how everything that I've read in the, in the coaching habit works in raising children. Sure. And, and in all my relationships, it has deepened my relationships to actually become more curious. And you've given the tools to not only be a better leader, but in all areas of our lives. Oh, thank you. I mean, I, lo- I love hearing that. I mean, the stuff that I teach in these books, I think of them as old wine in new bottles. You know, it's not like I came up with curiosity is a good thing. I, I didn't. But there is a fundamental piece around humans doing a better job at connecting to humans here. And so if you interact with other human beings in your life, and I know in a pandemic, some of us are like, actually, let's stop now. <laughs> I'm, mm. I'm in isolation. I haven't spoken to anybody for eight weeks. But, you know, in all seriousness, we all, we all interact with other human beings. And 
whether it's you know your your mum, your dad, your partner, your kids, your vendor, your clients, your boss, your peers, your team, all of them benefit from you showing up with just a smidgen more curiosity. Yeah, it's brilliant. Thank and thank you so much. So, Michael, I'm gonna I'm gonna put down you know your website and then also your TED thank talk, you. which I which really takes this in a very succinct way for people to take take away from. Where else would you like me? What else is interesting for people to go find from you? Yeah. So the website is mbs.works. That's the hub. Look, people, if I'm knowing that the people listening to this are keen podcast listeners, I've got a podcast as well, which would be a nice supplement to Mark. It's called We Will Get Through This. And so it's me talking to people who I think have a perspective on resilience in the broader sense for themselves, for their teams, for their organizations. And it's a bit like this conversation with Mark. I get on with interesting people and for half an hour or so we, we chat away and the conversations go interesting places. I suggest that you spend as much time as you can with Michael because everything that I've gleaned from him has, have, has enhanced my life. Michael, thanks for being here. And really, thank you for saying yes for being on the podcast. Mark, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. To everybody else, if you, if you enjoy this, please like it, please leave a review, and please share this podcast. See, I'm learning new, I'm learning new skills and asking for what I want. <laughs> you guys have been with me for a while, nice. so you know this is new for me. I love you guys. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.